Question 2 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima Secondae, On the Last End and on Human Acts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima Secondae, On the Last End and on Human Acts. By St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 2. Of those things in which man's happiness consists in eight articles. We have now to consider happiness, and, number one, in what it consists, number two, what it is, and number three, how we can obtain it. Concerning the first, there are eight points of inquiry. One, whether happiness consists in wealth. Number two, whether in honor. Number three, whether in fame or glory. Number four, whether in power. Number five, whether in any good of the body. Number six, whether in pleasure. Number seven, whether in any good of the soul. And number eight, whether in any created good. First article, whether man's happiness consists in wealth. Objection one, it would seem that man's happiness consists in wealth. For since happiness is man's last end, it must consist in that which has the greatest hold on man's affections. Now this is wealth, for it is written, Ecclesiastes 10.19, all things obey money. Therefore, man's happiness consists in wealth. Objection 2. Further, according to Boethius, the Consolation of Philosophy 3, happiness is a state of life made perfect by the aggregate of all good things. Now money seems to be the means of possessing all things, for, as the philosopher says, Ethics, Volume 5, money was invented that it might be a sort of guarantee for the acquisition of whatever man desires. Therefore, happiness consists in wealth. Objection 3. Further, since the desire for the sovereign good never fails, it seems to be infinite. But this is the case with riches more than anything else, since a covetous man shall not be satisfied with riches. Ecclesiastes 5.9. Therefore, happiness consists in wealth. On the contrary, man's good consists in retaining happiness rather than in spreading it. But as Boethius says, the consolation of philosophy too, wealth shines in giving rather than in hoarding. For the miser is hateful, whereas the generous man is applauded. Therefore, man's happiness does not consist in wealth. I answer that it is impossible for man's happiness to consist in wealth, for wealth is twofold, as the philosopher says, politics one three, that is, natural and artificial. Natural wealth is that which serves man as a remedy for his natural wants, such as food, drink, clothing, cars, dwellings, and such like, while artificial wealth is that which is not a direct help to nature, as money, but is invented by the art of man for the convenience of exchange, and as a measure of things saleable. Now, it is evident that man's happiness cannot consist in natural wealth, for wealth of this kind is sought for the sake of something else, that is, as the support of human nature. Consequently, it cannot be man's last end. Rather, it is ordained to man as to its end. Wherefore, in the order of nature, all such things are below man and made for him, according to Psalm 8, 8. Thou hast subjected all things under his feet." And as to artificial wealth, it is not sought for the sake of natural wealth, since a man would not seek it except because, by his means, he procures for himself the necessaries of life. Consequently, much less can it be considered in the light of the last end. Therefore, it is impossible for happiness, which is the last end of man, to consist in wealth. Reply, Objection 1. All material things obey money, so far as the multitude of fools is concerned, who know no other than material goods which can be obtained for money. But we should take our estimation of human goods not from the foolish but from the wise, just as it is for a person whose sense of taste is in good order to judge whether a thing is palatable. Reply Objection 2. 
all things saleable can be had for money not so spiritual things which cannot be sold hence it is written proverbs seventeen sixteen what doth it avail a fool to have riches seeing he cannot buy wisdom reply objection three the desire for natural riches is not infinite because they suffice for nature in a certain measure but the desire for artificial wealth is infinite for it is the servant of disordered concupiscence which is not curbed as the philosopher makes clear politics one three yet this desire for wealth is infinite otherwise than the desire for the sovereign good for the more perfectly the sovereign good is possessed the more it is loved and other things despised because the more we possess it the more we know it hence it is written sirach twenty four twenty nine they that eat me shall yet hunger whereas in the desire for wealth and for whatsoever temporal goods the contrary is the case for when we already possess them we despise them and seek others which is the sense of our lord's words john four thirteen whosoever drinketh of this water by which temporal goods are signified shall thirst again the reason of this is that we realize more their insufficiency when we possess them and this very fact shows that they are imperfect and the sovereign good does not consist therein second article whether man's happiness consists in honors objection one it would seem that man's happiness consists in honors for happiness or bliss is the reward of virtue as the philosopher says ethics one nine but honor more than anything else seems to be that by which virtue is rewarded as the philosopher says ethics four three therefore happiness consists especially in honor objection two further that which belongs to god and to persons of great excellence seems especially to be happiness which is the perfect good but that is honor as the philosopher says ethics four three moreover the apostle says first epistle to timothy one seventeen to the only god be honor and glory therefore happiness consists in honor objection three further that which man desires above all is happiness but nothing seems more desirable to man than honor since man suffers loss in all other things lest he should suffer loss of honor therefore happiness consists in honor on the contrary happiness is in the happy but honor is not in the honored but rather in him who honors and who offers deference to the person honored as the philosopher says ethics one five therefore happiness does not consist in honor i answer that it is impossible for happiness to consist in honor for honor is given to a man on account of some excellence in him and consequently it is a sign and attestation of the excellence that is in the person honored now a man's excellence is in proportion especially to his happiness which is man's perfect good and to its parts i e those goods by which he has a certain share of happiness and therefore honor can result from happiness but happiness cannot principally consist therein reply objection one as the philosopher says ethics one five honor is not that reward of virtue for which the virtuous work but they receive honor from men by way of reward as from those who have nothing greater to offer but virtue's true reward is happiness itself for which the virtuous work wherein if they worked for honor it would no longer be a virtue but ambition reply objection two honor is due to god and to persons of great excellence as a sign of attestation of excellence already existing not that honor makes them excellent reply objection three that man desires honor above all else arises from his natural desire for happiness from which honor results as stated above wherefore man seeks to be honored especially by the wise on whose judgments he believes himself to be excellent or happy third article whether man's happiness consists in fame or glory objection one it would seem that man's happiness consists in glory for happiness seems to consist in that which is paid to the saints 
for the trials they have undergone in the world. But this is glory. For the Apostle says, Epistle to the Romans 8.18, The sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to come, that shall be revealed in us. Therefore happiness consists in glory. Objection 2. Further, good is diffusive of itself, as stated by Dionysius. Divine Names 4. But man's good is spread abroad in the knowledge of others by glory more than by anything else, since, according to Ambrose, Augustine, Contra Maximinum Arinum, 2.13, Glory consists in being well known and praised. Therefore, man's happiness consists in glory. Objection 3. Further, happiness is the most enduring good. Now, this seems to be fame or glory, because by this men attain to eternity after a fashion. Hence Boethius says, Consolation of Philosophy, 2, you seem to beget unto yourselves eternity when you think of your fame in future time. Therefore man's happiness consists in fame or glory. On the contrary, happiness is man's true good. But it happens that fame or glory is false. For as Boethius says, Consolation of Philosophy 3, many owe their renown to the lying reports spread among the people. Can anything be more shameful? For those who receive false fame must needs blush at their own praise. Therefore man's happiness does not consist in fame or glory. I answer that man's happiness cannot consist in fame or glory, for glory consists in being well known and praised, as Ambrose, Augustine, Contra Maximinum Arinum, 2.13, says, Now the thing known is related to human knowledge otherwise than to God's knowledge, for human knowledge is caused by the things known, whereas God's knowledge is the cause of the things known. Wherefore the perfection of human good, which is called happiness, cannot be caused by human knowledge, but rather, human knowledge of another's happiness proceeds from, and in a fashion is caused by, human happiness itself, inchoate or perfect. Consequently, man's happiness cannot consist in fame or glory. On the other hand, man's good depends on God's knowledge as its cause, and therefore, man's beatitude depends, as on its cause, on the glory which man has with God. According to Psalm ninety fifteen sixteen, I will deliver him, and I will glorify him. I will fill him with length of days, and I will show him my salvation." Furthermore, we must observe that human knowledge often fails, especially in contingent singulars, such as our human acts. For this reason, human glory is frequently deceptive. But since God cannot be deceived, his glory is always true. Hence it is written, Second Epistle to the Corinthians 10.18, He is approved whom God commendeth. Reply Objection 1 The Apostle speaks, then, not of the glory which is with men, but of the glory which is from God, with his angels. Hence it is written, Mark 8.38, The Son of Man shall confess him in the glory of his Father before his angels. St. Thomas joins Mark 8.38 with Luke 12.8, owing to a possible variant in his text, or to the fact that he was quoting from memory. Reply Objection 2. A man's good, which, through fame or glory, is in the knowledge of many, if this knowledge be true, must needs be derived from good existing in the man himself, and hence it presupposes perfect or inchoate happiness. But if the knowledge be false, it does not harmonize with the thing, and thus good does not exist in him who is looked upon as famous. Hence it follows that fame can no wise make man happy. Reply Objection 3. Fame has no stability. In fact, it is easily ruined by false report. And if sometimes it endures, this is by accident. But happiness endures of itself, and forever. Fourth Article. Whether man's happiness consists in power. Objection 1. It would seem that happiness consists in power. For all things desire to become like to God, as to their last end and first beginning. But men who are in power seem, on account of the similarity of power, to be most like to God. 
Hence also in Scripture they are called gods. Exodus 22.28 Thou shalt not speak ill of the gods. Therefore happiness consists in power. Objection 2. Further, happiness is the perfect good, but the highest perfection for man is to be able to rule others, which belongs to those who are in power. Therefore happiness consists in power. Objection 3. Further, since happiness is supremely desirable, it is contrary to that which is before all to be shunned. But, more than aught else, men shun servitude, which is contrary to power. Therefore happiness consists in power. On the contrary, happiness is the perfect good, but power is most imperfect. For, as Boethius says, Consolation of Philosophy 3, the power of man cannot relieve the gnawings of care, nor can it avoid the thorny path of anxiety. And further on, Think you a man is powerful who is surrounded by attendants, whom he inspires with fear indeed, but whom he fears still more? I answer that it is impossible for happiness to consist in power, and this for two reasons. First, because power has the nature of principle, as is stated in Metaphysics 5.12, whereas happiness has the nature of last end. Secondly, because power has relation to good and evil, whereas happiness is man's proper and perfect good. Wherefore some happiness might consist in the good use of power, which is by virtue rather than in power itself. Now four general reasons may be given to prove that happiness consists in none of the foregoing external goods. First, because happiness is man's supreme good, it is incompatible with any evil. Now all the foregoing can be found both in good and in evil men. Secondly, because, since it is the nature of happiness to satisfy of itself, as stated in Ethics 1.7, having gained happiness, man cannot lack any needful good. But after acquiring any one of the foregoing, man may still lack many goods that are necessary to him, for instance, wisdom, bodily health, and such like. Thirdly, because, since happiness is the perfect good, no evil can accrue to any one therefrom. This cannot be said of the foregoing. For it is written, Ecclesiastes 5.12, that riches are sometimes kept to the hurt of the owner. And the same may be said of the other three. Fourthly, because man is ordained to happiness through principles that are in him, since he is ordained thereto naturally. Now, the four goods mentioned above are all due rather to external causes, and in most cases to fortune, for which reason they are called goods of fortune. Therefore it is evident that happiness no wise consists in the foregoing. Reply Objection 1. God's power is his goodness. Hence he cannot use his power otherwise than well. But it is not so with men. Consequently it is not enough for man's happiness that he become like God in power, unless he become like him in goodness also. Reply Objection 2. Just as it is a very good thing, for a man to make good use of power in ruling many, so is it a very bad thing if he makes bad use of it. And so it is that power is towards good and evil. Reply Objection 3. Servitude is a hindrance to the good use of power. Therefore it is that men naturally shun it, not because man's supreme good consists in power. Fifth Article. Whether man's happiness consists in any bodily good. Objection 1. It would seem that man's happiness consists in bodily goods, for it is written, Sirach 30.16, There is no riches above the riches of the health of the body, but happiness consists in that which is best, therefore it consists in the health of the body. Objection 2. Further, Dionysius says, Divine Names 5, that to be is better than to live, and to live is better than all that follows, but for man's being and living, the health of the body is necessary. Since, therefore, happiness is man's supreme good, it seems that the health of the body belongs more than anything else to happiness. Objection 3. Further, the more universal a thing is, the higher the principle from which it depends. Because the higher a cause is, the greater the scope of its power. Now, just as the causality, 
of the efficient cause consists in its flowing into something, so the causality of the end consists in its drawing the appetite. Therefore, just as the first cause is that which flows into all things, so the last end is that which attracts the desire of all, but being itself is that which is most desired by all. Therefore, man's happiness consists most of all in things pertaining to his being, such as the health of the body. On the contrary, man surpasses all other animals in regard to happiness, but in bodily goods he is surpassed by many animals, for instance, by the elephant in longevity, by the lion in strength, by the stag in fleetness. Therefore man's happiness does not consist in goods of the body. I answer that it is impossible for man's happiness to consist in the goods of the body, and this for two reasons. First, because, if a thing be ordained to another as to its end, its last end cannot consist in the preservation of its being. Hence, a captain does not intend as a last end the preservation of the ship entrusted to him, since a ship is ordained to do something else as its end, that is, to navigation. Now, just as the ship is entrusted to the captain that he may steer its course, so man is given over to his will and reason. According to Sirach 1514, God made man from the beginning, and left him in the hand of his own counsel. Now it is evident that man is ordained to something as his end, since man is not the supreme good. Therefore the last end of man's reason and will cannot be the preservation of man's being. Secondly, because, granted that the end of man's will and reason be the preservation of man's being, it could not be said that the end of man is some good of the body, for man's being consists in soul and body. And though the being of the body depends on the soul, yet the being of the human soul depends not on the body, as shown above. First question, Article 75, 2. And the very body is for the soul, as matter for its form, and the instruments for the man that puts them into motion, that by their means he may do his work. Wherefore, all goods of the body are ordained to the goods of the soul as to their end. Consequently, happiness, which is man's last end, cannot consist in goods of the body. Reply Objection 1. Just as the body is ordained to the soul as its end, so are external goods ordained to the body itself, and therefore it is with reason that the good of the body is preferred to external goods, which are signified by riches, just as the good of the soul is preferred to all bodily goods. Reply Objection 2. Being taken simply, as including all perfection of being, surpasses life and all that follows, for thus being itself includes all these. And in this sense Dionysus speaks. But if we consider being itself as participated in this or that thing, which does not possess the whole perfection of being, but has imperfect being, such as the being of any creature, then it is evident that being itself together with additional perfection is more excellent. Hence in the same passage Dionysius says that things that live are better than things that exist, and intelligence better than living things. Reply Objection 3. Since the end corresponds to the beginning, this argument proves that the last end is the first beginning of being, in whom every perfection of being is whose likeness, according to their proportion, some desire as to being only, some as to living being, some as to being which is living, intelligent, and happy. And this belongs to few. Sixth article. Whether man's happiness consists in pleasure. Objection 1. It would seem that man's happiness consists in pleasure, for since happiness is the last end, it is not desired for something else, but other things for it. But this answers to pleasure more than to anything else. For it is absurd to ask any one what is his motive in wishing to be pleased. Ethics 10.2. Therefore, happiness consists principally in pleasure and delight. Objection 2. Further, the first cause goes more deeply into the effect than the second cause. The Book of Causes 1. Now the causality of the end consists in its attracting the appetite. Therefore, seemingly that which moves most the appetite answers to the notion of the last end. Now this is pleasure. And a sign of this is that delight so far absorbs man's will and reason that it causes him to despise other goods, 
Therefore it seems that man's last end, which is happiness, consists principally in pleasure. Objection 3. Further, since desire is for good, it seems that what all desire is best. But all desire delight, both wise and foolish, and even irrational creatures. Therefore delight is the best of all. Therefore happiness, which is the supreme good, consists in pleasure. On the contrary, Boethius says, Consolation of Philosophy, 3. Any one that chooses to look back on his past successes will perceive that pleasures had a sad ending. And if they can render a man happy, there is no reason why we should not say that the very beasts are happy too. I answer that, because bodily delights are more generally known, the name of pleasure has been appropriated to them, Ethics 7.13, although other delights excel them. And yet happiness does not consist in them, because in every thing that which pertains to its essence is distinct from its proper accident. Thus in man it is one thing that he is a mortal, rational animal, and another that he is a risable animal. We must therefore consider that every delight is a proper accident resulting from happiness, or from some part of happiness, since the reason that a man is delighted is that he has found some fitting good, either in reality or in hope, or at least in memory. Now a fitting good, if indeed it be the perfect good, is precisely man's happiness. And if it is imperfect, it is a share of happiness, either proximate or remote, or at least apparent. Therefore it is evident that neither is delight which results from the perfect good, the very essence of happiness, but something resulting therefrom as its proper accident. But bodily pleasure cannot result from the perfect good even in that way, for it results from a good apprehended by sense, which is a power of the soul which power makes use of the body. Now good pertaining to the body and apprehended by sense cannot be man's perfect good, for since the rational soul excels the capacity of corporeal matter, that part of the soul which is independent of the corporeal organ has a certain affinity in regard to the body, and those parts of the soul which are tied down to the body, just as immaterial things, are in a way infinite as compared to material things, since a form is, after a fashion, contracted and bounded by matter, so that a form which is independent of matter is in a way infinite. Therefore sense, which is a power of the body, knows the singular, which is determinate through matter." whereas the intellect, which is a power independent of matter, knows the universal, which is abstracted from matter, and contains an infinite number of singulars. Consequently, it is evident that good which is fitting to the body, and which causes bodily delight, through being apprehended by sense, is not man's perfect good, but is quite a trifle as compared with the good of the soul. Hence it is written, Wisdom 7.9, that all good in comparison of her is as a little sand." and therefore bodily pleasure is neither happiness itself nor a proper accident of happiness. Reply Objection 1. It comes to the same whether we desire good or desire delight, which is nothing else than the appetite's rest in good. Thus it is owing to the same natural force that a weighty body is borne downwards, and that it rests there. Consequently, just as good is desired for itself, so delight is desired for itself and not for anything else, if the preposition for denotes the final cause. But if it denote the formal, or rather the motive cause, Thus delight is desirable for something else, i.e., for the good which is the object of that delight, and consequently is its principle, and gives it its form. For the reason that delight is desired is that it is rest in the thing desired. Reply Objection 2. The vehemence of desire for sensible delight arises from the fact that operations of the senses, through being the principles of our knowledge, are more perceptible. And so it is that sensible pleasures are desired by the majority. Reply Objection 3. All desire delight in the same way as they desire good, and yet they desire delight by reason of the good and not conversely, as stated above. 2.1. Consequently, it does not follow that delight is the supreme and essential good, but that every delight results from some good, and that some delight results from that which is the essential and supreme good. 
Seventh article. Whether some good of the soul constitutes man's happiness. Objection one. It would seem that some good of the soul constitutes man's happiness, for happiness is man's good. Now this is threefold. External goods, goods of the body, and goods of the soul. But happiness does not consist in external goods, nor in goods of the body, as is shown above. Articles four and five. Therefore it consists in goods of the soul. Objection two. Further, we love that for which we desire good, more than the good that we desire for it. Thus we love a friend for whom we desire money, more than we love money. But whatever a good man desires, he desires it for himself. Therefore he loves himself more than all other goods. Now happiness is what is loved above all, which is evident from the fact that for its sake all else is loved and desired. Therefore happiness consists in some good of man himself, not, however, in goods of the body, therefore in goods of the soul. Objection 3. Further, perfection is something belonging to that which is perfected. But happiness is a perfection of man. Therefore, happiness is something belonging to man. But it is not something belonging to the body, as shown above, Article 5. Therefore, it is something belonging to the soul, and thus it consists in the goods of the soul. On the contrary, as Augustine says, of Christian teaching, 122, that which constitutes the life of happiness is to be loved for its own sake. But man is not to be loved for his own sake, but whatever is in man is to be loved for God's sake. Therefore, happiness consists in no good of the soul. I answer that, as stated above, question 1, article 8, the end is twofold, namely the thing itself which we desire to attain, and the use, namely the attainment or possession of that thing. If, then, we speak of man's last end, it is impossible for man's last end to be the soul itself or something belonging to it, because the soul, considered in itself, is as something existing in potentiality, for it becomes knowing actually from being potentially knowing, and actually virtuous from being potentially virtuous. Now since potentiality is for the sake of act as for its fulfillment, that which in itself is in potentiality cannot be the last end. Therefore the soul itself cannot be its own last end. In like manner, neither can anything belonging to it, whether power, habit, or act. For that good which is the last end, is the perfect good fulfilling the desire. Now man's appetite, otherwise the will, is for universal good, and any good inherent to the soul is a participated good, and consequently a portioned good. Therefore none of them can be man's last end. But if we speak of man's last end, as to the attainment or possession thereof, or as to any use whatever of the thing itself desired as an end, thus does something of man, in respect of his soul, belong to his last end, since man attains happiness through his soul. Therefore the thing itself which is desired as end is that which constitutes happiness and makes man happy. But the attainment of this thing is called happiness. Consequently we must say that happiness is something belonging to the soul, but that which constitutes happiness is something outside the soul. Reply Objection 1. Inasmuch as this division includes all goods that man can desire, thus the good of the soul is not only power, habit, or act, but also the object of these, which is something outside, and in this way nothing hinders us from saying that what constitutes happiness is a good of the soul. Reply Objection 2. As far as the proposed objection is concerned, happiness is loved above all, as the good desired, whereas a friend is loved as that for which good is desired. And thus, too, man loves himself. Consequently, it is not the same kind of love in both cases. As to whether man loves anything more than himself with the love of friendship, there will be occasion to inquire when we treat of charity. Reply Objection 3. Happiness itself, since it is a perfection of the soul, is an inherent good of the soul. But that which constitutes happiness, that is, which makes man happy, is something outside his soul, as stated above. Eighth Article. Whether any created good constitutes man's happiness. 
Objection 1. It would seem that some created good constitutes man's happiness. For Dionysius says, Divine Names, 7, that divine wisdom unites the end of first things to the beginnings of second things, from which we may gather that the summit of a lower nature touches the base of the higher nature. But man's highest good is happiness. Since, then, the angel is above man in the order of nature, as stated in the first part, question 111, article 1, it seems that man's happiness consists in man somehow reaching the angel. Objection 2. Further, the last end of each thing is that which in relation to it is perfect. Hence the part is for the whole as for its end. But the universe of creatures which is called the macrocosm is compared to man who is called the microcosm, physics 8, 2, as perfect to imperfect. Therefore man's happiness consists in the whole universe of creatures. Objection 3. Further, man is made happy by that which lulls his natural desire, but man's natural desire does not reach out to a good surpassing his capacity, since then man's capacity does not include that good which surpasses the limits of all creation. It seems that man can be made happy by some created good. Consequently, some created good constitutes man's happiness. On the contrary, Augustine says, The City of God, 1926, As the soul is the life of the body, so God is man's life of happiness, of whom it is written, Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 143, 15. I answer that it is impossible for any created good to constitute man's happiness, for happiness is the perfect good which lulls the appetite altogether, else it would not be the last end, if something yet remained to be desired. Now the object of the will, i.e. of man's appetite, is the universal good, just as the object of the intellect is the universal true. Hence it is evident that naught can lull man's will, save the universal good. This is to be found not in any creature but in God alone, because every creature has goodness by participation. Wherefore God alone can satisfy the will of man, according to the words of Psalm 102, 5, Who satisfieth thy desire with good things? Therefore God alone constitutes man's happiness. Reply Objection 1. The summit of man does indeed touch the base of the angelic nature. By a kind of likeness, but man does not rest there, as in his last end, but reaches out to the universal fount itself of good, which is the common object of happiness of all the blessed, as being the infinite and perfect good. Reply Objection 2. If a whole be not the last end, but ordained to a further end, then the last end, of a part thereof, is not the whole itself, but something else. Now the universe of creatures, to which man is compared as part to whole, is not the last end, but is ordained to God as to its last end. Therefore the last end of man is not the good of the universe, but God himself. Reply Objection 3. Created good is not less than that good of which man is capable, as of something intrinsic and inherent to him but it is less than the good of which he is capable, as of an object, and which is infinite. And the participated good which is in an angel, and in the whole universe, is a finite and restricted good. End of question 2